I mentioned earlier that in Sunday mornings we're looking at John's Gospel. We have been for some time. And we're now in a section of John's Gospel where we have the privilege of listening as Jesus Christ reveals what is on his heart. We've heard him pray to his Father with regard to himself, then with regard to his first disciples who were with him as he prayed. And this morning, in the last part of Jesus' prayer, we're going to hear him pray with regard to the church. All those across the world and throughout the centuries who will come to believe and trust in him after he has prayed this prayer. This is an important passage for us to hear in John 17. And the reason it's such an important passage is because a lot of people are confused and uncertain about what the church of Jesus Christ is for. What is the point of the church? What is its purpose? What is it supposed to be doing? Is the church here to reassure people that they're okay and everything's going to be okay? Is the church here to keep ancient rituals and traditions alive? Alternatively, is the church here to keep reinventing itself so it stays alive by fitting in with the culture around it? Is the church here to try and build a global brand that gets a lot of attention and makes its leaders rich and famous? All of those approaches are in operation today. You've probably come across most of them. And as we listen to Jesus' prayer, we will find out whether the Lord of the church agrees with any of those approaches. Or if he sees a different purpose for his church. We're going to pick up in John chapter 17 verse 20. And we'll read down to verse 26. If you haven't turned there yet, it's in the church Bible, page 1085, or the larger print Bibles, 1680. Jesus has just been praying about the 11 men who are with him as he prays, but now in verse 20, he expands the focus of his prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one. As we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. 
righteous Father. Though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is God's Word. It reveals the heart of our Savior for the church. His heart is that the church will be united and that the church will grow in fellowship with God. Those are simple enough goals, but if we're going to understand them, we need to listen carefully to Jesus' words. Because unless we listen carefully, we can easily misunderstand what Jesus is praying for. Just think about the first thing he prays for. That the church will be united. You can see that prayer in verse 21, where Jesus prays that all of them may be one. Then in verse 22, that they may be one. And in verse 23, that they may may be brought to complete unity. There's no doubt Jesus is praying for unity, but what kind of unity? Is it the kind of unity that comes when we all agree not to talk about certain things so we don't have any arguments? Is it the kind of unity where we purposefully keep everything fuzzy and unclear so everyone is willing to nod their heads because the fuzziness and the lack of clarity allows for any kind of belief? Well, that's certainly one approach. And sure, you can achieve a vague kind of unity that way by keeping things unclear and uncertain. But it's a pretty fragile unity. Ultimately, it is barely unity at all. And it is not the kind of unity Jesus is talking about. Look at verse 20. Again, speaking about the 11 disciples who are with him, He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for all those who will believe in me through their message. Jesus' first disciples did not get to decide for themselves what their message was going to be. Their message has been given to them by Jesus. And when he returns to heaven... He has promised that the Holy Spirit will carefully oversee their proclamation of that message. The Holy Spirit will oversee the production of the written record of that message that will become the New Testament. Now we know that during Jesus' lifetime, these disciples did not understand everything they saw and heard from Jesus. But in chapter 16, Jesus assured them when the Holy Spirit comes... He will guide them into all the truth about Jesus. The things that were unclear will be made clear. So in verse 20, the message that Jesus mentions is a very specific message. It's not up to the disciples to make it up. 
And the disciples have no liberty to change the message. And Jesus says his church is made up of those who believe in him through that message. People who have other ideas about Jesus are not included in Jesus' prayer here. The church is not made up of people who believe something about Jesus. It's made up of those who believe the message proclaimed and written by the first followers of Jesus. So our unity is based on our common acceptance and our common confidence in that message. So what is the message? Well, we could sum it up in words from the introduction to John's gospel. The Son has made the Father known. That is what Jesus came to do. To reveal the character and the will of God the Father. And Jesus did that through his words and his actions. He showed us exactly what the Father is like. And what the Father wants. And why the Father sent the Son. As we look at Jesus and listen to Jesus, we see the Father's love. Love that worked for the salvation of a world that is lost and condemned because of its sin and rebellion against God. We see why the Father sent the Son to give his life as a sacrifice, to die in our place as the Lamb of God who in his own body takes away the sin of the world. And as we look at Jesus and listen to Jesus, we see what the Father wants from us. Jesus explained, the Father wants us to believe in the one he has sent. Many people decide they're going to play a guessing game about what God wants from us. They guess that maybe he wants us to do certain rituals or certain good deeds Many people spend their lives giving God what God is not looking for. But Jesus Christ has revealed what the Father wants. He wants us to believe in the Son He has sent. To trust in the sacrifice provided by the Son on the cross. And then to live as servants of the Son. Taking His word as the authority in our lives. So when Jesus prays that the church will be united, he is praying for unity in believing that the Son has made the Father known. He has made the Father known not in a provisional way, not in a partial way, but in a full and final way. In the Son, we find all the Father wants us to know about himself. That was the message Jesus gave his first disciples. That is the message that every true member of the church believes. And that is the message proclaimed by the true church of Jesus Christ. Wherever it's found in the world. Any kind of unity not based on that message is a false unity. 
As we said, it is possible to come up with a message that's so vague and that's so all-inclusive that almost anyone could sign up to it. Like the kind of message that says Jesus just wants us to follow his example. Or Jesus just wants us to be nice. Or Jesus is one of several ways to the Father. Unity based on that kind of message is not the kind of unity Jesus has in mind here. This is unity based on the message that Jesus perfectly reveals the Father's character and will. Anyone who receives that revelation is received also by the Father. Anyone who fails to accept Jesus' revelation of the Father is a rebel against God. And they stand condemned by the Father for their rebellion. Then in case we're tempted to think the unity Jesus prays for is just about what we believe, in verse 21, Jesus prays this for those who believe in him. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So Jesus prays for a similar kind of unity among members of his church as there is between Jesus and his Father. We are to be one just as they are one. Now, clearly, that unity cannot be absolutely the same as the Father and Son's unity. The first verse of John's Gospel told us the Father and Son are equally God and equally eternal. That is not a unity you and I can share in. So what does Jesus have in mind when he prays that members of his church may be one just as the Father is in him and he is in the Father? Jesus is praying that the church will be united in displaying the same oneness of purpose and love as the Father and the Son. Several times in John's Gospel, we've heard Jesus make statements like this. I seek not to please myself, but the one who sent me. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. I always do what pleases him. And in case we wonder if Jesus' obedience to his Father is forced, in case we wonder if Jesus is acting under duress, Jesus makes clear his obedience is willing, eager obedience. He said, I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. I stand with the Father who sent me. I and the Father are one. Jesus obeys his Father because he loves his Father. And further on in our passage, Jesus will say the Father has loved him before the creation of the world. The Father and Son are united in their love for one another, and they are united in purpose. They both want the same thing. They both work for the same thing. 
The revelation of the Father through the Son. And Jesus prays that the church will be united in the same way. United in love and purpose. So, Jesus is praying for a supernatural unity. This is unity brought about by the Holy Spirit. We heard that earlier in our reading from Ephesians. By ourselves, you and I cannot recreate the kind of oneness enjoyed by the Father and the Son. But this supernatural unity is something we are to display. We cannot create it, but we are to display it. We're to make it tangible. It's to be something people can see and sense and taste in our relationships with one another. And our service alongside one another. How do we know that we are to display our unity? Well, look again at verse 21. Jesus prays to his Father about us that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's not up to us to create unity, but it is up to us to show it in our day-to-day lives. So the world can see the difference Jesus makes. And as they see the difference he makes, at least some of them will come to believe Jesus really is God the Son, sent from the Father to be our Savior. And what all of this means is, if we truly belong to Christ's church, if we have come to believe in Jesus as he is presented in the New Testament, then together with all the other true members of his church, We have been gathered up into what God is doing in the world. We've been given a part to play in his purposes. And so, we do not have the luxury of living for our own purposes. Younger church members, you do not have the luxury of ignoring older church members like they're out of date. Older church members, you do not have the luxury of writing off younger members like they're not spiritually serious enough. As the church of Jesus Christ, we do not have the luxury of dividing along generational lines. That might be how things work outside of the church, but not inside it. We are to display our unity across generational lines. And that starts with getting to know people from different generations. Taking an interest in them. Even if we have nothing else in common with them, we have our love for Jesus in common. We have our thankfulness for the goodness of God delivered to us in Jesus. We have our desire to live for Jesus. We have a lot in common. 
And when we have a difference with a brother or sister in Christ, a disagreement or a grievance, we do not have the luxury of lashing out at that brother or sister. We do not have the luxury of speaking petulant, spiteful words to them. We do not have the luxury of taking the huff with them or holding bitterness against them. During the SGA trip I was on the other week, the Moldovan pastor I was with told me about a church situation that he'd been asked to help out with. When he became involved in the situation, he was faced with a group of professing believers who were openly hostile to one another. As he put it, they were throwing stones at one another, meaning they were flinging bitter words back and forth. As that pastor began to work with them, he managed to quiet and down the open hostility. But, he said, I knew some of them still had stones in their pockets. They weren't throwing them, but they were ready to. Their bitter words were just in storage waiting for the opportune moment to come back into use. That kind of attitude does not belong in the church of Jesus Christ. Because it does not display the same oneness of purpose and love as the Father and the Son. True members of the church of Jesus Christ do not have the luxury of keeping stones in their pockets. Just waiting for an opportunity to bash a brother or sister with a hurtful, spiteful word or two. That kind of attitude will not show the world the difference Jesus makes. And so when you and I feel selfish desires rising up in us, we do not have the luxury of surrendering to those selfish desires. Through the work of God's Holy Spirit, we have come to share in the love and the purposes of the Father and the Son. And we have the responsibility to show that. By letting go of grudges, by swallowing our bitter words, by not demanding word-perfect apologies for every wrong that someone has done to us. And ourselves, by doing the kind, helpful things we know we must do, even when we don't feel like doing them. So, if any of us this morning have stones in our pockets, ready to throw when the mood takes us. Let's get serious about the supernatural unity we have in Christ. And let's commit ourselves to show that unity by taking those stones out of our pockets and letting them drop to the floor. Leaving them behind us. Never to be picked up again. 
husbands and wives, parents and children. Are there any family stones that you need to drop today to help you display the unity you have in Christ as a family? Is this an easy thing for us to do? No. Did Jesus say it would be easy? No. Look at verse 22. Speaking about his church. I have given them the glory that you gave me. That they may be one as we are one. What does Jesus mean when he says he's given us the glory that the Father gave him? Well, it's another way of saying Jesus has revealed the Father through his words and his actions. Actions that include the suffering Jesus is about to undergo on the cross. We've seen previously in John's Gospel, the glory of God is revealed in a supreme way on the cross. The Father is glorified as he's shown to be the God who goes to such great lengths for our salvation. And for his part, Jesus is glorified as the one who went to the cross in obedience to his Father. So for Jesus to say he has given that same glory to us, doesn't that mean he has given us the privilege of following him? Of laying down our lives in small but significant ways. Willingly dying to self. Showing that we, like our God, will sacrifice for the sake of others. Jesus has given that glory to us. The glory of sacrificing our desire to get what we deserve. And get our own back and put that person in their place. It's to God's glory when we lay down our lives in those kind of ways. It's not easy to sacrifice our desire to bite back and lash out. But as you and I take the stones from our pockets and let them drop to the floor, we are displaying something of the glory of our Savior. The one who laid down his life for those who lashed out at him and spat on him and betrayed him and abandoned him when he would have loved their support and their encouragement. Sinclair Ferguson sums up the point of these verses. In very simple terms, what Jesus is praying for is that when people encounter the church, they will see many different pieces of a puzzle fitting together and revealing his own face. And behind the face of Jesus, 
the face of the Father who sent him. That is what happens as you and I are united in believing the Son has made the Father known. And when we're united in our commitment to display the same oneness of purpose and love as the Father and the Son. And the beautiful thing is, as we recognize our responsibility, as we commit ourselves to this, knowing what a challenge it is, as we do that, we can take heart from the fact that Jesus is praying to his Father here. Asking his Father to show his love for us by leading us on in this. Look at verse 23, where Jesus prays to his Father for our oneness. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. So that our stumbling efforts to live this out will grow stronger as time goes by. Displaying more and more of the unity we have. And as that display of unity grows, verse 23, the world will know that the Father sent Jesus and loved the church even as he loved Jesus. The increasing unity we display shows that the Father loves us incredibly with the same love he has for his Son, Jesus. So as we commit ourselves to display the unity we have in Christ, even when it's hard to do, even when it requires sacrifice from us, do you think the Father will answer Jesus' prayer to strengthen our unity? Do you think the Father who loves us with the same love he has for Jesus will take our personal sacrifices and make something beautiful and significant out of them? Of course he will. And in the final verses, Jesus shows us the key to the growing unity he's been speaking about. In these final verses, Jesus prays that the church will grow in fellowship with God until it enjoys perfect fellowship with him. That end point, that perfect fellowship, is what Jesus mentions first in these verses. Verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Back in verse 22, Jesus said he has already given his glory to the church. Meaning there, in verse 22, his words and actions on earth, climaxing in his death on the cross. All of that was a revelation of God's glory. But now, here in verse 24, Jesus is looking ahead into the future, to the glory he's going to have on the other side of the cross. The glory he will have when he has completed his work. When he has been welcomed into his Father's presence again as the risen Savior of the world. 
Jesus wants his church to share in that eternal glory. As God's people, that is our great reward. That is our great goal. Seeing and sharing the full unveiled glory of God. Our great reward is God himself. Seen finally for all that he is. Enjoyed finally. Perfectly and for all of eternity. That's a reward we could never earn. It's a goal we could never arrive at by ourselves. But look what Jesus says in verse 26. Speaking about all those who will come to believe in him. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. In order that the love you have for me may be in them. And that I myself may be in them. So Jesus not only prays to his Father that the Father will complete what he started in us. Here, Jesus himself commits to continue the work as well. He will continue to make the Father known to us. Not from a distance. But in us. That's the reference to the Holy Spirit. Back in chapter 14, Jesus said that through the Holy Spirit, He and His Father will come and make their home with us. So we have Jesus' commitment here that until the day we enter the full glory of God's presence, we can continue to grow here and now. In both the knowledge of God and in the experience of God's loving presence. You and I are not doomed to be spiritually thirsty for a lifetime and then suddenly find ourselves drinking from a spiritual fire hose when we get to heaven. Now we can begin to drink already in this life. We can begin to taste and enjoy more of God in this life. Both individually and as the family of God together. And this, this growing fellowship with God, is the key to our growing unity with one another. Men, women and children who are tasting and enjoying more of God are not the kind of people who carry stones in their pockets. Looking for opportunities to throw them. Men, women and children who are tasting and enjoying more of God. Do not ignore one another. They do not look down on one another. Because we're different ages or different nationalities. Or because we speak different languages. No, as we grow in fellowship with God, we will grow in fellowship with one another. Fellowship with God spills over into fellowship with others who are tasting and enjoying Him too. 
So if you and I are serious about unity, yes, let's think about our attitudes to others and the way we react to others. Let's make the effort to deepen our relationships in the church. And let's realize our single greatest help in that will be deepening fellowship with God. Pursuing that. As you and I pursue increasing intimacy with Him and joy in Him, then our unity with one another cannot help but grow stronger and deeper. Let's pray. Father, we have listened to Jesus' prayer for us. And we pray that same prayer for ourselves. You have brought us together. You have united us in the good news of Jesus. The good news that in Jesus you are perfectly revealed. The good news that in Jesus your love and your way of salvation are made known. You have given us that unity in the truth. And now, Father, we ask you, help us live out that unity you have given us. In all of our weakness and our feelings, will you help us to display the unity you have given us? In our relationships, in our interactions, in our care for one another. We pray that increasingly all the pieces of the puzzle will fit together to reveal you in us. So that others will see and believe. And we ask you to lead us on to know you more. To find our satisfaction in you. Until the day we see you finally face to face. With your son Jesus. And we worship you in perfect unity. Lead us on to that day. Amen. Our final two songs are, first of all, a prayer that that love would be found among us, and then an acknowledgement that all of this is through Christ in us. Let's stand to praise God and to encourage one another. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us, and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. May he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen.